Okay, we got this mic on, everything's good. We don't have any microphones or speakers at our church in Chile, so I kind of feel like sometimes in America, everything's electronic, but I think we got everything good to go. You can hear me okay? All right, thank you so much, church, for having us this morning, having me this morning. I'm not used to traveling without the family, and so I sure miss having Annie and Micah, Patrick, Abigail, and Hudson with me today. They wish they could be here, and I hope that next time that we're here, the whole family will be here. Pastor's not convinced that my family really exists. He thinks it's all a deep fake, that they're AI-generated in the pictures and everything. No, I'm just kidding. But when I met him in 2019, it was one of those very unusual occasions where I was traveling alone. And so here I am again, I'm traveling alone, and uh, last night he joked that he's not even sure my wife exists, but she is real, I promise she is real, and she is as wonderful as she is beautiful. Y'all saw that picture of her, and so um, she sends her greetings, and they're in, right now they're in Boise, which is our home base for this furlough. So I just wanted to say thank you, church, for having us. I love Missions Month. It's so exciting, and um, I wish we could have 13 mission months in the year. I love Missions Month. Uh, It's wonderful, and so it's been great to, I enjoyed Sunday School, being able to share a little bit about my personal testimony, as well as field a few questions, and just share about what God's been doing in Chile. And uh, I'd I'd like to mention, if if I didn't make it clear, uh, Patagonia is kind of similar. It's a region. It's not a state. Uh, So it's kind of similar to like the Great Plains that, you know how it spans multiple states? Well, Patagonia is the southern tip of South America. It's southern Chile and southern Argentina. And we're on the Chilean side of the Andes Mountains, the Pacific coast there, serving in Patagonia way down south where it's very cold. And so I woke up this morning and I felt at home. It was cold this morning. Was anybody else cold this morning? Boy, I got out and I had made the mistake of parking in the shade last night. So the, uh, all, all the sun was shining on one part of the hotel, uh, which by the way, very, very comfortable accommodations. Thank you, church. Um, and, and on the other side was the shade and the, the van was just iced over. And so I thought, man, I should have parked over there. So I had to pull it around and sit in the sun for a bit. And well, you all know how that is. Okay, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 10, please. Luke chapter 10, it is good to open the scriptures this morning and be able to share from God's word a little bit from Luke chapter 10. So here are some pages turning. When you get there, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, and I've put for a title of this message, The Solution to the Laborer Problem. The solution to the labor problem. We're in Luke chapter 10, verses 1, say this. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you as we see Jesus here in his ministry. 
starting to take a different focus and we sense a bit of urgency in, in his plan to reach the world as he's training his disciples and and here he's sending them out and they're going and they're preaching. And I just want to ask, Lord, that as we pause and we look at what Jesus said about his harvest here and what he said about the laborers and about prayer, that you would work in each of our hearts and we would be stirred up to pray and to give and to go so that Jesus would be known all around the planet and he would be worshipped everywhere around the globe. I pray, God, that Jesus would be exalted by the words that I preach this morning, that he would be honored as the head of this church, that he would be lifted up. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, how he dwells in each of us who have been born again. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the sword of the Spirit. In the church, we can come together and consider one another and provoke each other unto love and good works. I do pray, God, that you would work in our hearts this morning, not to increase our knowledge only, but that Jesus would be honored in the way that we listen, in the way that we respond in faith, in obedience, that he would be exalted in our hearts and our lives. And I pray that especially for me, but also for everyone else that we're present and God, we just want to see you glorified. And so I, in my heart, I kneel down before you and, and I ask that you would do that work in us. And we want you to receive all the glory for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> As I look at the text that we've just read, which you should be grateful that we didn't read until verse 16, this is the third time that I've preached out of this text. The first time I preached till verse 16, and it was really long, really long. I thought, okay, we're going to cut that down a bit. I think the second time we went until maybe verse 8, and that was really long. And so the third time here, we're settling in verses 1 and 2. And I don't think it's going to be really long, so don't worry. We'll beat the Methodists to the restaurants, okay? Um, and I'm excited to talk about the solution to the laborer problem. As I read verses 1 and 2, uh, I, just looking at verse 2 very simply, there were three details, important details, that stood out to me. And I'm going to take those details and develop them as the points in this message First, the harvest is abundant. The harvest is abundant. Two, the laborers are scarce. And three, Christ's command to pray. Jesus says in verse two, the harvest truly is great. As he explained a parable in another part of the scriptures in Matthew 13, Jesus explained in the parable of the tares and the wheat that the, the field is the world. As we consider God's big world, as we try to take a step out of our small world and we try to lift up our eyes and look on the fields and see God's big world, we see that the harvest truly, it's really great. It's abundant. <coughs> I'm kind of a missionary biography junkie. 
I love missions biographies. Uh, I read them and I read them. In fact, it's kind of crazy. I've read Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret at least 15 times. I read it just about every year, sometimes twice a year even. I read it out loud with my assistant there in the church. I read it out loud with my boy, uh, and my oldest boy. And I, I love missions biographies. And there's one, it's not very well known, but it's called Missionary Warrior. Has anybody in here read Missionary Warrior? It's about a missionary named Charles Coman. I don't know if it's pronounced Coman or Cowman, but it's spelled Cowman, all right? Coman. And uh, some people know of his wife more than him. Uh, her name was Letty B. Coman, and she wrote a devotional called Streams in the Desert. So she wrote this biography about her husband called Missionary Warrior. And in it, uh, it tells about how Charles got a burden for uh, not just the, the booming metropolitans and cities in Japan where he was a missionary, but he got a heart specifically for the rural areas of Japan. And he says, we got to get the gospel to everybody on the island. And so he came up with what he called the Great Village Campaign. The Great Village Campaign. I, I love this part in the biography. And what it was, was they were going to get the gospel to every creature in Japan. And what he did was he, he brought together a team of missionaries and Japanese believers, and the, the plan was uh, for as long as it took to travel all throughout the country to get the gospel to every person in Japan. And it had two very simple rules as far as accomplishing that. One was every single home in Japan had to receive a portion of the scriptures, something like a John and Romans or something along those lines. And the second rule was this. If they saw any human being, they had to attempt to preach the gospel to that person. That was the, the two simple rules of the Great Village campaign. And shockingly, it, it only took them several years to meet the task and to do that. They went to every single home in the country and they attempted to preach the gospel to every single person that they saw. Well, Charles Coleman tells about in his journals, and then his wife writes about it in the book, tells a story when he's uh, among the farming uh, lands of Japan, among the rice paddies. He is winding through the hills, and he found two women working in the rice paddies, and he preached the gospel to them. He told them, of course, that their sin separates them from God, but that they could be reconciled to God because he loves them and he sent Jesus to die for their sins, to be buried and resurrected. Because of the blood that Jesus shed for them, they could be saved and have their sins forgiven. He preached the gospel to them. He told them about Jesus. And then as he continued his path, in the story he talks about how he's, he's a little too far to be able to hear the women very well, but they yelled to him something. And he hears, and he turns around, and he says, what? And the women repeated what they had said, and they said, what was that name again? They didn't know the name Jesus. They had never heard the name Jesus, so they lifted up their voices, and they said, what was that name again? I think about how big God's world is, and how many people there are, like those Japanese women all around the globe, who have never heard an explanation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. 
what he could do for them. The world is big. I am not an expert in all the countries around the world, but I have tried to really educate myself about Patagonia. I'm constantly reading and watching and listening and asking questions and trying to learn. And maybe there's a place uh, for you like that. Maybe you've gotten a burden in your heart for a place like North Macedonia. Or maybe you've gotten a burden in your heart for a place like Yemen or a place like Togo. And you've decided, I'm going to educate myself on this country, I'm gonna learn how many people are there, what languages they speak, what the main religions are, if there's any uh, Bible-believing missionaries in that place, and if there's any churches, and I'm going to ask God to send laborers there. Maybe you have a place that you've become a bit of an expert in, and I think we could probably go around the room and share our burdens for different places. Maybe you've got a burden for a specific area here in your city, and you've said, I'm gonna pray for that. And you've become educated in that area and you could share about that need. If we were to share about the need all around the world for hours, even then, we would barely scratch the surface. I'll tell you about Patagonia. If you were to hop on an airplane here uh, and then fly to one of the main hubs. I suppose you'd probably fly to Dallas. So you'd have your flight to Dallas, and then from Dallas, you'd fly to Chile, and that would take probably 10, 11, 12 hours to fly from Dallas to Santiago de Chile, our capital. And then uh, if you didn't have a stop along the way in Lima, Mexico City, Brazil, or any of those areas, Panama, if you didn't have a stop along the way, you'd get to Chile, you'd land, and then you'd go through customs and immigration, and an hour or two later, you'd have your bags, and you'd have to leave the international terminal and walk about half a mile to the domestic terminal. You'd go through security again, you'd get all checked in, and then you'd hop on another flight, and you'd fly an hour and a half south to a city called Puerto Montt. And then in Puerto Montt, you'd get off your plane, you'd go to another plane, and then you'd fly after a short, um, what do they call that, layover, you would fly from Puerto Montt to the city of Balmaceda. And Balmaceda is our airport, and um, it's about the size of your airport, to give you an idea. You'd land there in Balmaceda, you'd get onto a transfer, they've kind of... Um, commandeered that word from English. They called it transfer. So you'd get on a minibus there and you would take that bus one hour north to the city of Coyhaique. And finally, after probably 25 hours, if you got a good ticket, maybe 30 or 40 hours if you're a cheapskate like me. So you're there finally in the city of Coyhaique, exhausted. And literally you're in the middle of nowhere. Our city is so isolated from the rest of the world, you can't even drive there within Chile. You have to take a boat. The first time we got there, we took a boat from Puerto Montt to um, Puerto Chacabuco, which is our port city, and that took, it was a 24-hour boat ride. And that's already when you're way down south in southern Chile. Chile is the longest country in the world. It's a little bit longer than the distance from Los Angeles to New York City. It's a really long country, and we live in the southern third in Patagonia. So you've arrived to Coyhaique. You've been traveling 30 hours or so, and now you get in your car, and you drive south. And you drive about an hour and a half, and along the way, you're going to pass towns like Valle Simpson, 
which is a community of about 300 people. And then you're going to pass El Blanco. That's a community probably of about 200, 300 people. And you're going to pass uh, Puerto Ingeniero Ibáñez, which is probably about 600 people. You're going to pass Cerro Castillo, which is about 500 people. As you're driving south after an hour and a half, the pavement ends and the dirt roads start. And you're going to drive another hour and a half south, and you'll come up on a little community called Bayamurta. Bayamurta is probably about 400 people, I'm estimating. And from Bayamurta, you're going to go along the coast of one of the largest lakes uh, in the world. It's called Lago General Carrera. And you're going to come up on a community called Puerto Sanchez. Now, when you got to Coyhaique, you were already in the middle of nowhere. But now you've driven three hours out further into the middle of nowhere. You found a community with about 20 homes, about 50 people. I went to Puerto Sanchez and I visited each home. I would knock on the doors and much like the Great Village campaign, I said, we're going to leave a portion of scripture in every home. We left the gospel of John at each home and I have to preach the gospel to everyone I see. There's about 50 people in Puerto Sanchez. At the end of a very long day of preaching the gospel in Puerto Sanchez, I was leaving and there were two men who had been working outside uh, fixing a fence. And I'm walking back to my car and they yelled something to me. And I turned back, I didn't quite hear what they said. I turned back and I yelled, what? And they said, don't forget Puerto Sanchez. Come back to Puerto Sanchez, these men said. I mentioned a lot of communities. I mentioned Balmaceda, I mentioned El Blanco, I mentioned Valle Simpson, Puerto Ingeniero Ibáñez, Cerro Castillo, Valle Murta, Puerto Sanchez. All of these communities that I'm mentioning, they don't have churches. And when I say that, I'm not talking about, they don't have a church with the name I like. No, they don't, they don't even have cults. They don't have cults, they don't have false religions, and they certainly don't have a church that believes in salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. I think about the world, and we could talk more about Patagonia. Just in our state, we have over 30 towns, cities, and villages like that. The need is great. Jesus said the harvest truly is plenteous. You know it here in your city. You know it here in your state. You know it here in your country, in your continent. But as we start to lift our eyes and, and contemplate how big the world is, we can see how true Jesus' words are here. He said, the harvest truly is great. The nearest missionary to us is an eight-hour drive. So we get in our car and we drive eight hours across the whole continent to the Atlantic Ocean, to the city of Comodoro Rivadavia in Argentina's Patagonia. And that's where the nearest missionary is. His name is Joe Merlo. He's one of my heroes and he's one of my best friends and he's serving there. And it's an eight hour drive. In our state, uh, which is the 11th region of Chile, we don't have states in Chile, we have regions. In the 11th region of Chile, there are only, in the whole state, there are three churches that believe in salvation by grace through faith. 
We're there. There's also a Brethren Church and there's a Bible Church. Those are the only three churches where you could go and you could hear biblically how to be saved by having faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross, believing on Christ as your Savior. The need is so great. And I don't think that we could say enough to communicate that. But Jesus said it with these words. The harvest truly is plenteous. The next thing that he said was, the laborers are few. There is a scarcity of laborers. And it's something that Jesus said to us 2,000 years ago. And it's something that rings true today. The lack of laborers. There's a passage where God says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? There is a scarcity of laborers. There's another scripture that says, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. In Ezekiel 22, 30. The other one is from Isaiah 6. There is a lack of laborers. It makes me think of an old song that, that I, I heard many years ago. We never sang it at my church, but I'd, I'd love to hear a choir sing it. But the song says, it says, My house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? You ever heard that song? It seems my children all want to stay around my table. No one wants to work in my fields. No one wants to work in my fields. What a picture that song paints of all God's children gathered around his table and we're all, we're all enjoying and feasting on manna from heaven and the bread of life and, and God's desire is for us to be in his fields working. But nobody wants to go into the fields and work. I think of when Jesus, I just read this in my devotions the other day, when Jesus fed the thousands and and he, he had them sit in, in different groups, very organized, and he, would, he blessed the food and he gave the, the food to his disciples and they would go and distribute it to the different groups of the people. And, and I was thinking about, in my mind, imagining the disciples coming to Jesus and getting food and then going to uh, the, the multitudes that Jesus had compassion on. And I love that our Savior's compassion and he's wonderful. And he sent them to distribute the food. And, and I imagine in my brain what I heard a pastor talk about one time. Imagine the disciples going to the front row and giving the food to the front row and coming back to Jesus and going back to the front row and giving it to the front row again and coming back to Jesus and getting more food and going to the front row and, and giving the front row food while the multitudes are starving. And I think about how absurd that would have been, right? But sometimes in churches around the world, the pews are full of people getting fat on the bread of life. Well, there are beggars and hungry and perishing all throughout our neighborhoods, 
all throughout our city, our county, our state, and all around God's big globe. I believe in missions giving. I talked a little bit about it in Sunday school. It's great, and it's been one of my chief joys in life, to give to missions. But be careful that your missions giving does not become an outsourcing for the Great Commission. We don't relegate our responsibility to serve in the Great Commission by supporting others and then just kind of say, well, that's a load off my chest. You know, someone's taking care of it for me and I'm doing my part. No, no. Our part is both here and abroad. But the problem is we can't be in two places at once, right? So what do we do? We dedicate ourselves to getting the gospel to the lost here. We dedicate ourselves to taking new believers and putting our arm around them and teaching them how to pray, teaching them how to read the scriptures, teaching them how to share their faith, teaching them to be faithful in God's house, attending services. We take them along in the Christian walk and we disciple them. We we teach them how to be followers of Christ. Yes, we do that here. And at the same time, while planting churches here, we find those who are doing it elsewhere in the regions beyond us, right? So that we can... Go to all nations and teach all nations and preach the gospel in the whole world. And all of the missionaries that you faithfully support, what they are then is an extension, right? And there's an extension of this church so that you can have ministries all around the world. Like this dear brother who has been serving Jesus for decades in partnership with you who wasn't able to come today. Jesus says, The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are scarce. There are so few laborers. And maybe we would say to ourselves, yeah, it's it's a problem, but is it really that serious of a problem? And I say, yes, it is very serious. I think of Romans chapter 10, where the Lord says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Right? We are void of righteousness. We have no merit for salvation, no merit for heaven, but Jesus was made sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. We turn to God and we have faith in Christ so that we can be made righteous. The just shall live by faith. We have faith in Christ and we are justified. We are made righteous, just like Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So in the heart, we believe that God raised Christ from the dead. He was raised for our justification and we have faith in what he's done for us in the gospel and we are justified. We believe in the heart unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It's a wonderful passage, if you haven't read it lately, uh, to get refreshed on it and to go back and read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 15. In verse 13, in that, uh, in that passage, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then starts a series of very convicting questions. Maybe it's been a while since you've heard them, or maybe you heard them last week, I don't know. But it says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not heard? That's a very easy question to answer. You can't call on somebody. You can't call on somebody, excuse me, I think I quoted that wrong. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? You can't call on somebody that you haven't believed in. 
I remember when I was 17 and I had faith in Christ as my Savior and I called out to him and asked him to save me. It says this question, it says, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Believe in who? In Jesus. In Je- you remember? What was that name again? What was that name again? Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's all about Jesus. The Great Commission is all about Jesus. How shall they believe on him? How shall they call on him whom they have not heard? Jesus said the the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. That is a very serious problem. It says, and how shall they hear without a preacher? And that, my friends, is the laborer problem. We need laborers. We need laborers. The first two points in this very simple message show us the depth and scope of the problem. There is a great harvest and there is a great dearth of laborers. But the next point is the solution that Jesus gave us. When we see a problem, especially the men, we go at it and we just want to fix the problem. Yeah? That's one of the hard times, one of the hard things we have in our communication, maybe with our wives. They just want to talk, right? They want to have fellowship together and intimacy and conversation. And, and we're like, okay, well, this is what you need to do. Point one, this. Point two, that. Point three, boom, we're done. I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> right? And so we think, well, there's a laborer problem. I know what we need to do. We'll start a national conference called the Laborer Problem Conference. And we invite in all the best preachers that can motivate us so that we can get more and more laborers for the harvest. Or we write a book about it, a solution to the laborer problem. And if we get everyone to read this book, our problem will be solved. We come up with all these ways to solve problems. But friends, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. What's the next word? Pray. Okay, Jesus, what else? That's it. Pray. He says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So within the text, he answers a couple of questions. He answers the question, who are we supposed to pray to, right? It says to the Lord of the harvest. And what are we supposed to pray? We're supposed to ask him to send laborers into the harvest. Now don't lose those those things because when this message is all buttoned up, when we've brought the plane in and we've landed it and we're all done, that's what it's gonna be about. Because you're gonna be tempted to pray something else. But that's, we pray to him, the Lord of the harvest, and we ask him, what? To send laborers into the harvest. But I wanna take a few moments before we conclude to answer another question that isn't answered in the text. And so there's gonna be a bit of conjecture here. But it's the question, why? Why did Jesus tell us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send forth laborers into the harvest? I would ask you this question. Does Jesus need me to kneel down every day? 
and pray and ask him to send laborers into the harvest? And it's a foolish question. But does he need me to remind him because he's ignorant or to inform him? Jesus, I, I wanted to let you know the harvest is great and the laborers are few. And so if you could send laborers, please. No, it's his harvest. He's the one that's informing us here. I would ask the question, is Jesus hard-hearted? Has he hardened his heart to the harvest and to the need, the great harvest and the need that there is for laborers? Has Jesus, no, Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. Has Jesus become apathetic? Did he stop caring about the harvest? No. Is he unwilling? No. He is rich. He's Lord over all, and he is rich unto all that call upon him. He's not unwilling. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. It's not that Jesus is unwilling and I've got to kneel down and beg him and say, Jesus, please, please send laborers into the harvest. Please. It's not that he's unwilling. I ask the question, why? Why did Jesus tell us to pray? It's because we are the ones who are ignorant. Me and you. My son the other day asked me, where's Malaysia? Could you point out Malaysia on a map? Could you point out Equatorial Guinea? Did you know Equatorial Guinea is the only country in Africa where they speak Spanish? Could you show where Suriname is? Did you know that Burma is called a different name now? I don't know if it's Myanmar or Myanmar, speaking of ignorance. (laughs) We're the ones that are ignorant. Not God, not Jesus, not the Lord of the harvest. Has Jesus hardened his heart? No. We are the ones who are hard-hearted. It's our apathy that needs a remedy. We are the ones who tend to forget. Praise the Lord for Missions Month. We've got it in front of us. All of the Bible texts or missions, um, if we're getting together, we're talking about missions, we're missions Sunday school, missions sermons, special songs around missions, the congregational singing, missions, and everything is missions, missions, missions. And then missions month ends, and we just move on. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here. I don't believe it will. But we are the ones who tend to forget. We are the ones who get consumed in our routine, in our daily life, and and, and we, we run into a cashier, and, and the cashier is, is, is seen more maybe like a stumbling block for me to accomplish what I need to do today, as opposed to a soul in need. Maybe a, a, a young mom has a crying baby in the service, and we get frustrated. We give them a dirty look. We say, there's a church up the road with a bunch of babies. Go be a Go be a distraction there. Instead of seeing a new believer who just got saved, who needs you to come along and and put your arm around them and say, hey, we're family. Sometimes families have babies that are crying. You want me to hold them for a bit? I'll rock them. We'll see if I still know how to do this. 
And we, we lose perspective of the Great Commission. We're the ones who tend to forget. We are the ones who are unwilling. We don't need to beg God to love the lost. No. No, we are the ones who need to have our love. The flames of our love for Jesus and for the lost to be flamed, to be fanned. That's the word I was looking for. Kindled. Prayer is that fan. It's that kindling. Prayer in and of itself is not the solution to the laborer problem. Because eventually talking about things has to be converted into doing something, right? We understand that. Jesus told his disciples to pray because he knows that praying disciples are the answer to the laborer problem. You cannot pray and ask God to send laborers into the harvest if you are unwilling to go, because that would be hypocrisy. If you were to see a need, um, maybe a, a sweet gal here has noticed that there's not enough workers in the nursery. Maybe the same workers are always in there and they're missing the sermon and, and she said in her heart, boy, we need some more workers in the nursery. Well, she could not kneel down and, and say, dear God, please send laborers to work in the nursery. And then the pastor's wife comes up the next week and says, sister, I was wondering, would you be willing to help us in the nursery? No, 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 not me. No, no. That would be so hypocritical, right? It would be. How can we say, God, send someone to, to help in this area? Uh, God, send somebody to take the gospel to my neighbors. And then the next day, you've got a gospel track here in your pocket. Your neighbor's out at his mailbox. You're out at your mailbox, and you feel an impression in your heart saying, give him a gospel track. <laughs> Not me. No, 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 no. That would be hypocritical. But when we pray... And we ask God to send laborers. God's heart is not changed. Ours is. Our heart is changed. I talked a little bit about going to Guatemala when I was 18. And I prayed and I asked God to send laborers. And that was how God got my path started in missions. Not everybody here is going to be a missionary. But every single one of us should struggle with the possibility. Every single one of us. Maybe instead of seeing if we have a special call to go, we should ask God if we have a special call to stay. Because we've already been given a command, go ye. In fact, the first word of the next verse is go. Verse three says, go your ways. And so we all need to be going here. We just need to find out if he wants us to go somewhere else as well. And prayer to the Lord of the harvest, for the harvest and for labors, that he would send forth labors to the harvest is such an important part of this. I remember in Bible college, I got a map, and I, uh, I put this map above my, my bed in the dorms. So every morning, 7 o'clock, I'd go to a prayer meeting. I started a prayer meeting at the college. And then at 7.30, we would start classes, and we'd end at 12.30. Then I would go have a quick lunch, and I would go before going to work. In Bible college, I was a translator for a, a gospel track company. 
In fact, there's a few of those tracks on the back of the table there. I was a translator for a, a track company, and so I'd eat lunch, and then before going to work my shift all afternoon into the evening, I would kneel down next to my bed under this map, and I would pray for laborers. I'd find a country that I'd never heard of, and I would play. I would, I would pray, and I would ask God to send laborers to that country. Before long, my heart settled on southern Chile. And I would pray and pray and pray that God would send laborers to southern Chile. I would take days to fast for southern Chile. And I would ask God to send laborers. I would weep. And I would pray and ask God to send laborers to Chile. None of those prayers did anything to change God's heart for Patagonians. Not one. But you know what? It sure changed my heart. And here I am. <laughs> Be careful, this is a dangerous prayer. This is a dangerous command to obey. Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors into his harvest. Prayer is the means that Jesus chose to get us to the place where we would echo the words of the prophet Isaiah and say, here am I, send me. From Isaiah 6, 8. We need godly men we need godly women whose hearts are fully consecrated to Jesus who would say, Lord, I'm available. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it here, I'll do it there, anywhere you want. Here, here am I. And prayer to the Lord of the harvest is how Jesus chose to get us there. So, in conclusion, my challenge this morning is that you would obey Jesus' command to pray and that you would ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors into his harvest. This is the solution to the laborer problem. It's me praying. It's you praying. It's us praying. May there never, ever be another prayer meeting where we don't pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors into his harvest. May there never be another day in our homes where we don't pray for more laborers. And if you're not sure what part of the harvest to start with, go back, get one of our prayer cards. Patagonia is a great place to start. Ask God to send laborers into the harvest. We're going to pray together as pastor makes his way to the platform. Father, I'm so thankful for Jesus and what he 